sir? Well, uh, oh, come on. The kids aren't here right now. I, <laughs> I don't need a sippy cup. But, but if it's the thing that's most handy, I'll probably take it. So, <laughs> you got me pegged pretty well. I have uh, I have stuff from when my kids were small that are still useful, so I still have them, and they just roll their eyes because a 62-year-old man with, uh, you know, like the SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, you know, uh, cup, not exactly cool, but I don't care. It still works, Daniel. Yeah, there's lots of stuff like that in my parents' house. So when, my, when, we, when we go visiting them uh, in the summertime, um, my kids are now the beneficiaries, or I don't know if that's the right word. That stuff's pretty well used. But <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, so yeah, they they get to they get to take uh, dad and and their uncle and aunt's uh, stuff from from long time ago. I don't I don't uh, take out my Powerpuffs plates anymore when when we have uh, people over though. So I've I've <laughs> I've changed my way. Uh, I loved your article, your your interview with Jeff Jackson uh, for lots of different reasons, and we'll get into them. But I. After an interview like that, because it was wide-ranging, obviously, I always like to ask the person doing the interviewing, what stood out to you most or what was most surprising or what did you, you know, raise a, an eyebrow when you heard? Yeah, thank you, Al. Um, I, I thought he was, he was pretty, kept things pretty close to the vest, but there were a couple things that, that stood out. And, and I, I think, uh, one, obviously, I, I asked um, Jeff Jackson about... Um, you know, the rental market uh, or players on expiring um, deals. And that's something that Ken Holland has, has not really wanted to venture down before in terms of giving up really good assets for a first-round pick or a high prospect. And he did say, you know, that's on the table. Like, that's something, everything is on the table. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Oilers are going to go uh, above and beyond or be reckless in terms of making that type of trade. Um, but I think it is on the table, and, and, and that's warranted to me. I mean, um, coming to the year, the Oilers were, um, you know, top three, top five, whatever, cup contender. Uh, obviously had a really rocky start, um, but have certainly righted the ship now and look like uh, clearly one of the more elite teams in the, in the league. So um, when you have that type of team and you have, you know, McDavid and Dreisaitl, um, not only at the probably the peak of their powers are close to it, uh, and, and where they are in their contracts, um, you have to go for it, um, you know, you know, future be damned really at this point. Um, and, and so, again, I don't think the orders are going to be reckless, but um, if there's a move there that uh, that can potentially put them over the top, I, I think they're they're more um, likely to do it than, than in years past. I think the other thing that really stood out was um, his, his praise of Chris Knobloch naturally, mm-hmm. but what he felt was missing under Jay Woodcroft, and that was kind of a um, – uh, what he felt was like a cohesive team where everyone had roles, um, specific roles that they could buy into. And, and I mean, you, you're seeing that obviously with, with penalty killers, uh, you know, six penalty killing forwards kind of getting the line share of the minutes and, and kind of taking ownership of that role um, as, as a prime example of, of guys that, that uh, have defined more defined roles and, and uh, are kind of more uh, valued per se on this team. But um Oddly enough, that was something when Jay Woodcroft first came aboard or the weeks after he first came aboard, uh, you know, barely, less than two years ago now that, that guys like Derek Ryan were really talking about. So uh, it'll be interesting to me over the next, you know, several weeks and, and year or two years or whatever, if Chris Knobloch is still, you know, coaching the same way or, or if he skews more toward veterans at that point. Because uh, that was something again that, that Jay Woodcroft got a lot of credit for when he first uh, when he first uh, joined the Oilers. I think that's a great insight, and it also points out the fact that that sometimes when we you know any of us 
are looking at an issue and a new coach comes in it's, that we're very quick to, to acknowledge or give credit for. And and I don't know how to quantify, you know, opening up the window and letting fresh air in in March, but I know it's 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 a good thing. Craig McTavish once said when he left the organization as coach, he said he'd been too long at the fair. That was his word. And sometimes a, a, a welcome, especially in an intense situation like this, doesn't last a long time for the fans. But Woodcroft, you know, it, it, three series have been won by Woodcroft in in his two seasons that he were two plus seasons that he was here. That's a that's a lot, and the slow start cost him his job. But the bounce that they've had, in your opinion, is it is it now past like the coaching change because they've been so good for so long? Uh, just looking at it from the point of view of not trying to frame you know a story and and get ahead of it and be able to to, to quantify it or chronicle it. But it seems to me like the the penalty killing being an example, they really seem to have fixed that, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot kind of to to, to talk about here, and I, and I think um, you know he first of all he touched on you know Craig McTavish's comment. I, I don't think Jay Woodcroft had been there too long at, at the ferry. I mean, he'd, he'd barely been here, really, right? Um, but clearly, a different voice comes in, a different leader comes in, and, and there's no question that Jeff Jackson is is running the ship. Uh, or guiding the ship, um, you know, coming in uh, as uh, somebody who's uh, above Ken Holland as Ken Holland's contract is coming to an end here. And we, we all think um, that it's probably the end of, of his tenure here coming up pretty soon. Um, you know, it, it, it cost Jay Woodcroft his job with a few lousy games out of the first 12. Um, obviously, we know we got fired through 13 games, but the decision had been made by that point. So uh, the rope here... Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any information to suggest that the rope was short coming into the season. Why would it be when you have Connor McDavid, you know, midway through the playoff uh, run last year saying that he, he thought Jay Woodcroft was a top five coach in the league, but, um, you know, um, Jeff Jackson in, in my interview said, you know, we needed to make a change. Like we, we felt we, did, we were running out of time or, uh, you know, where the season could have come, um, come up in, in smoke. Uh, and then you bring in Chris Knobloch and I, I just, I think he's been a really calming influence on this group. Um, yeah, we talked a lot about the penalty kill, def- defining roles, defining roles within the coaching staff too. A little, bit, um, I don't want to say a little bit more, but a little bit different, differently. Um, and giving Mark Stewart, who was you know the, the third assistant coach really under under Jay Woodcroft, uh, a lot more um, you know authority to run the PK. Obviously, we we've talked a lot about you know Paul Coffey and and you know kind of. I, I wouldn't want to say too simplistic or a very simplistic approach to the defense, but clearly defining what they, what he wants out of them in terms of puck moving and trying to instill a little bit of confidence in that group. And then you get some good goaltending too. So, I mean, there are some um, facets that as I touched on with, um, with uh, Jay, or sorry, with uh, Jeff Jackson in the interview that uh, there were some things early on in the season that were probably under or out of Jay Woodcroft's control in terms of injuries, you know, goaltending, not playing well, um, you know, just some bad puck luck. Um, so Knobloch gets those bounces now, but he's he and his staff have clearly done a very good job too. I mean, you don't go sixty years, uh, twenty six and six through thirty two games with, without doing uh, without doing a good job. So he and his staff deserve some credit. Um, they also uh, were the beneficiaries of, of some things just working in their favor too that didn't happen early on in the year. Daniel Nugent Bowman, our guest from the Athletic, talking about his very good interview with Jeff Jackson that's up on. The Athletic right now. I recommend you read it. I was interested in in uh, his tone and the sound of what he was saying 
Uh, you obviously know that. We don't. Uh, in regard to Ken Holland, I remember Holland, there was a succession plan that involved, I think, Scotty Bowman, Jim Devolano, and Holland that saw Holland rise up to be the general manager uh, in the late 1990s. And I, I always thought that Holland might prefer that kind of a succession here in Edmonton that could involve Brad Holland. What was your sense when you were talking to him about Ken Holland and his future? Yeah, I mean, it's in the interview that um, there, and this has been kind of the word every time either Ken Holland has been asked and, and Jeff Jackson too, that they're, I mean, they're really focused on the season in terms of this is the Stanley Cup. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's usually Andre Settle's terminology at the end of the year, uh, last season that, that is like cup or bust. I, I don't know, probably say the same thing again uh, now, but it's, it's clear this is their window and, and they want to win. Um, so they, they don't want to, whether it's, um, you know, with Ken Holland talking about his future too much or with, um, you know, I, I asked him a little bit about uh, Leon Dreisaitl and, and what the expectation was from the organization because Dreisaitl um, is eligible to sign an extension uh, on July 1st or after. Um, both of those scenarios, you know, um, Jeff Jackson saying, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on right now in the present. We'll, we'll deal with that stuff later. You know, I, my sense, though, is, again, I, I do think this is Ken Holmes last year. You know, we'll see if, if something changes that would would warrant or, or cause that to change. Um, you know, I, I think Jackson coming in here is time to learn a little bit under Ken Holland and also kind of change the direction of the team a little bit. You, you saw in the article um, just how analytically inclined uh, this front office now seems to be that where it wasn't nearly that way in the past. Um, and, you know, you bring in Michael Parcati, um, Kevin Wall is mentioned obviously by, by Jeff Jackson on the piece working under Brad Holland, uh, obviously Ken's son, who's certainly a lot more analytically inclined in the post, uh, and, and is the director of pro scouting here. So whoever succeeds Ken Holland, I believe will be someone who, um, I don't know what experience, but will be somebody a lot more analytically inclined. I don't think it'll be an old school general manager. I don't think uh, it'll be somebody who, um, who, who really, you know, is looking at the eye test above all else. It'll be somebody who's, who's um, looking at the numbers, looking at the data a lot more than, than what has occurred here in the past. Um, who that guy is, I'm not entirely sure, but I, I think that's the way the organization uh, is headed under Jeff Jackson here. Daniel, I know you you did address or ask about the Leon Dreisaitl contract. I remember when he signed the the last one, his agent Mike Liu disregarded the the year where he was uh, Dreisaitl was uh, sent back to junior and ended up getting a pretty strong contract at the time. Mm-hmm. And I and I wonder from the point of view of having Jackson at the the front of hockey ops and his his background, not just you know in hockey or with hockey teams, but also as an agent. Um, do you think that helps? the Leon Dreisaitl negotiations with Liu? I'm not sure um, in that regard. I guess I'll say that Jackson would probably know pretty well how these contracts are bargained and how, um, and, and kind of what to look for from a, from an agent slash player side of things. So now he's probably taking that information and, and, and going the other side of it, right? Like the Oilers have been the beneficiaries of a, of a very team friendly contract. And I, I know when it was signed, uh, people kind of uh, criticized Peter Shirley for not holding down the hammer a little bit more. Obviously, that contract was bargained with Connor McDavid going first and getting the $12.5 million. And then you're looking at Leon. You know, the way it worked was the Oilers were looking at Leon Dreisaitl of being X of a player 
uh, percentage of a player behind Connor McDavid. And so he, he you know, he got 8.5 rather than, you know, some of his peers, um, you know, relatively comparable players like, uh, you know, Brad Marchand and, and Nathan McKinnon and, and Mark Scheifele getting kind of in the 6 million. So, I mean, obviously if the Oilers had got a dry settle in that range, um, it would have been a, just that much more of a bargain, but he's still at eight and a half. Um, you know, it was only a couple of years into that deal that he was really outplaying um, the value of that deal and the Oilers were getting a real win. Um, dry settle, you know, I wrote, we talked about this and I wrote about it uh, a few weeks ago now uh, after the William Nylander signed his extension with Toronto. Um, when that contract kicks in, dry settle will be a couple of weeks short being 30 years old. Um, you know, he's not the skater that Connor McDavid is. Um, uh, you know, you know, doesn't have them as much speed and all that. Could that could that contract, you know, at eight by the end of that that con the contract, if it's eight years, be less than desirable for a team? Yeah, maybe. But Leon Draisaitl has also proven to be a heck of a hockey player. You know, top three, top five, top ten, however you want to, whatever you want to call him, however you want to classify him. Um, you know, he's he's coming into this year for the previous you know five years he was the um, the leading goal scorer of the league um he's had very little in the way of, of injuries um you know he, he's a guy who's going to get paid um so i think it'll come down to whether the others you know and being a little bit more analytically inclined will they will they you know look at aging curves a little bit more than in the past will they kind of go down that route or will they really just value uh having leon dry for eight, probably eight years, and with the first half or, or more being very good, and them trying to kind of extend their window a little bit longer, and just willing to maybe swallow the last, you know, the, the a bit of a poison pill, for lack of a better term, on, on the last couple or three years or something. Um, that's, I think, the determination that that this management group has to make. There's there's a little bit of trade off there from both sides, but there's no question whether it's with the Oilers or with somebody else that Leon Settle is going to get paid on his next deal. Final question for you, Daniel. Today I've been regaling people with the idea of the Oilers' luck and randomness, and they all loved the conversation. But I wanted to address it with you and and put it in the context of the solutions the Oilers have put together, and they look like they're working. Calvin Picard as the backup uh, goaltender. Uh, Corey Perry in one game, he looked really good. You want to audition that. Dylan Holloway's recall has gone well early days. Uh, how much, in your opinion, will the order? I, I suspect they'll get a number seven defenseman. But even if things go well with Perry, Holloway, Picard, and others, Pickard, uh, d- do you see him being active for two de- deals or three deals, or do you think it might just be a backup uh, or a seven defenseman? Yeah, I, do, I don't like, and I, and I looked at kind of the, uh, the, the the assets that the Oilers have in trades, and they don't have you know very many of them, and there you know there is the cap to kind of look at too. So um, I, I think the Oilers will try to make a big bigger swing. Uh, I know you you touched on that, Al. Uh, I think that's a, the hope. I, th- I think if you're looking at a big bigger swing, you're looking at probably like a second line winger. Um, that will kind of involve some t- tinkering with the group, and, and that will probably, if not in the same trade cause you know a, a subsequent trade to clear money uh a la, um you know jesse pooley rv being, being moved out to kind of facilitate the the at home uh, trade that obviously tyson berry went in that too but they would need to move some money um and, and and you know jeff jackson talked about um not kind of not wanting to mess with, with chemistry a little bit too right so they obviously have a pretty well balanced team now um you know the, the six defensemen have played 
basically the entire year and going back to January of, of last year, really. Um, you know, they have some depth in the organization too. That's not even on the roster with, with Philip Robert, whether or not he's a, you know, he is a, tr- a trade chip and whether or not they, they use it um, is another thing. So, I mean, you look at guys that they can move, obviously Brett Kulak's name comes to mind, Cody CC. I've talked a lot about Warren Fogel early in the year, but I mean, he's been one of your better forwards and you've been on an expiring contract. I think you probably want to keep him around. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to have to clear a little bit of money um, uh, and they have to kind of balance what they, um, what they, uh, what, how the, how the dressing room looks. Cause it seems like a good one right now. Uh, I do expect them to make a couple moves and, and I, and I agree. I, I think they're getting a seventh defenseman regardless. Uh, after that, it depends on how, um, how, uh, how much they want to push the envelope and, and what they can actually do based on the kind of salary, con- con- excuse me, salary cap constraints and uh, the lack of assets really that they do have to move. Uh, in order to how big of a splash they can actually make. So I, I lied about final question. I have one more. The, the, this <laughs> yeah. year, you've had to use every adjective you've ever heard of for the lowest lows and the highest highs. What what do you expect to have? Do you expect an even-keeled run to the deadline, or do you think there'll be more topsy-turviness to this this boat ride that is the order season? Well, I mean, they're, they're riding high. I mean, that's consistency in some way, right? I mean, um they really haven't uh, kind of done the whole win one, lose one thing very much at, or at all this season. So, uh, you know, there's little more than five weeks to the deadline. And by the time um, uh, they play their next game, it'll be just under five weeks. Um, or, or sorry, it'll be basically five weeks. Exactly. Uh, I mean, they there's there's not a lot of time. There's, there's a little bit. I don't expect things to go off the rails in any way, shape or form here. Uh, I, I think it'll just kind of depend again on what they want to do, how much they want to add, and if they have the, the means to do so. Um, I think you're you're looking at this team being a being a, a cup contender, and then I guess you touched you asked a little bit about goaltending in your previous question. Now, I mean, um, the goaltending market's a, a tough one, and and Edmonton is usually a place where a lot of goaltenders that have that type of first, you know move, no trade no move production don't want to go. Um, I mean, Pickers played very well. Campbell is starting to round out his game in the minors. Uh, could provide a, a good third option for this team. Um, I think they just, whatever they do in net, they just need to make sure that they're, you know, get, affording Stewart Skinner with with some downtime uh, so that he can go on the playoffs uh, well-rested and hopefully be a little bit sharper than he was in the crease uh, during the playoffs last year. So that's the main objective for me in the net because whoever they get behind uh, Skinner probably isn't going to move the needle a ton at this point. It's all about Stuart Skinner and getting him um, as in the best uh, sh- uh, shape possible for, for the playoffs. Thanks for this. Have a great, w- great one.